Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Football is broken. Hello, and welcome to episode four of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we've once again got a full house. That means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, really good, Dan. I think we've got a We've got a real therapy session needed for all of us and all football fans today. So I'm looking forward to getting into this one, mate, because I think we're all sort of losing the will to live at the moment with the way things are being done. Yes, it's going to be a broad church of rants this afternoon, so don't go anywhere if you're listening. It also means we're joined by Fulham fan Matthew. Matthew, I hope all is well. And how have you been this past week? Um, It was all going OK until the, um, the cluster... <laughs> cluster f that was last <laughs> night at craven cottage ad on twitter but i'm glad that i've got as as cards a little bit of therapy to get me through it so i'm glad i get to do it with you and of course last but not least is palace fan max max you rejoined us from your scouting trip elsewhere last week so how have you been since we last spoke yeah i've not been bad at all um apart from the football basically everything else in my life has gone really well and then the football seems to have collapsed around me but i'm sure we'll get onto that later I'm loving this early commonality that we've all got, that everyone's fine apart from the football. It seems to be the sort of the trend that everyone's going through at the moment. So before we sort of get that off our chest, let me do the social media bits first. I will be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan Tracy, 1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like what you hear, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Audio Boom. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. 
Also, I want to give a shout to Freelance Football Opportunities on Twitter at FFOps. If you're a freelancer and looking for paid jobs, they do an excellent weekly newsletter in return for a Patreon contribution of about £3 a month. If you're looking for freelance work, I cannot recommend this enough. It does all sorts like writing, digital, you name it, it's on there. Really, really helpful. So get involved with that. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? I think we're going to start with the rants. Now, Carl, I usually start with you, but I'm going to chuck it to Matthew first because he had the uh, sort of first request. So, Matthew, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. And mine stems from, I, th- I think it was the first game game of the weekend, Brighton Man United. There's been so many games I lose track. I lose track of these things. But it surrounds the whole the whole handball incident right at the end. Now, I'm not going to this isn't going to be a thing about the rules or anything, but it's a little bit about the rules. But the way it was put to me, because I'm a very pro VAR person, I was someone who wrote um, my dissertation on the whole subject of um, using technology as a way to aid referees. So I've been very pro VAR. But the way that was put to me by some by some of the other friends on a Fulham on a Fulham chat that, that I'm with was in that scenario where there were fans in the stand. You know, you know, picture, you know, go through it after the hundred minutes or whatever. The referee blows the full time whistle. And fans start leaving the ground as they sort of go because the full time whistle has gone. Imagine the chaos that would ensue if, you know, Man United fans, you know, leaving, trying to get the train out of Falmouth Station, wanted to, you know, wanted to get the next train home, if they missed the goal. I think we as fans, just as I said last week, defenders need to know what the rules are and adapt. You know, with the handball rules, you know, go with your arm behind your back, as, you know, match today showed Tottenham players doing. We as fans need to start understanding what the rules are in regards to how VAR is implemented. Because as I said, it was given to me in that scenario where there's fans, the chaos that would ensue. But everyone knows, look at the way the play developed. You know, the ham, the, the, the ball's cleared off the line. The referee blows full-time whistle. But the players were surrounding the referee and his and he had his hand, you know, to his to his ear saying, hang on, we're checking this. But everyone's getting all confused. You know, how can you give something after the final whistle? And it's just, we should know. Everyone knows. It's pretty obvious that the incident happened before the final whistle. They have to wait for a break in play, you know, for for next for the next time for them, for them to check it. It could be a throw in. It could be a goal kick. It just so happened that the next break was the final whistle. But I don't get why everyone's so confused as to why the referee is allowed to go back and check it. You know, I saw I saw the joke. How can someone explain to me how Man United lost to get uh, Man United won a game after they had the full time notification come through on their phone? I think fans need to stop being angry about the VAR and its usage, and start you know start understanding it all because we're not going we're not going back to the way it was. We're, we're just not. We've opened Pandora's box. Say we go without VAR next season. Within the first week, there's going to be a handball on the line that doesn't get called, and people will say, "Well, VAR would have caught that." We're not get, we're not getting rid of it. I think it's just time for us to adapt to it, and fans need to understand its usage. Every weekend, every week, every Monday, Dale Johnson on Twitter does a brilliant explanation of the VAR. Basically, runs down all the VR decisions and walk, talks through why the decision was made, how it was made, so on and so forth. Read him. And it's at Dale Johnson ESPN. Cheap plug, I know, but he's a good lad. Everyone needs to read his weekly thread on it. And everyone will get a lot more understanding about what it is. Because I don't understand why everyone's so angry 
about this when it's really something very very simple it's not it's it's not complicated at all but everyone's just getting angry about it because they don't like change the change is here and i think it's us the need to adapt to these sort of things wow that's quite the opening statement max i don't want you to be left out because i know you've got a rant so have you got a counterpoint are you in agreement how miffed are you after saturday's handball incident at selhurst park well uh in direct response i think i am i am very pro var and I think any football fan was, you know, once when they saw Lampard's goal against Germany, the World Cup being over the line and not, not being given. And I think most fans envisaged that that was what it was going to be used for. I haven't necessarily got a problem with VAR itself, um, just kind of how it's being implemented, because the problem isn't the technology, it's the people using it and, and the way they're interpreting it. But before I start, before I start on this ramp, because uh, I'm going to I'm going to take you through a whole roller coaster of emotions, I want to say it is the most important of the least important things football. And so I don't want to be too reactionary or overdramatic, but I feel like I'm giving the sermon at the funeral of football because the sport, as we know, it, is dead. There are no crowds. There's no atmosphere. There's no goal celebrations because you're worried it's going to get called back for something three minutes ago. VAR is being applied poorly. The rule changes have bastardised the sport beyond all recognition. And this current sport we have, just it just isn't the same sport that football fans fell in love with. Now, referring specifically to the thing that's made me so annoyed, which is the the handball that Palace conceded, I say handball in inverted commas, people say, well, Palace got a penalty for a similar handball against United last week. That's true. We did. I don't think that was a penalty either. Um, and yeah, just to reiterate, I don't think that was a penalty last week that we should have got against United. And Hodgson, Roy Hodgson, our, our manager, said that at the time. A couple of people have said, oh, you know, people are just saying that because you're biased Palace fans. Yeah, you know what? I am a Palace fan. I am biased. I'm not saying it's an anti-Palace conspiracy. I know other teams this weekend have been on the end of the same thing. You know, Eric Dyer against um, Newcastle, for example. Lucas Moura against Sheffield United last season. That was an absolute joke of a decision. Um, so it's not just Palace. And any Everton fan or football fan generally with a modicum of self-respect would tell you that the Ward handball decision shouldn't be handball. Talking about neutrals, Alan Shearer said, yeah, it's wrong. It has to change. It's madness to give that. Micah Richards said, I'm done with it. I'm done. Gary Neville said, I'm fuming with that decision against Palace. Stop this, please, now, as this can't carry on. And you can also say, well, Palace might benefit from similar decisions over the course of the season, for example, at United or in future. That's probably true. But two wrongs don't necessarily make a right. And I'd rather all humble decisions like that be removed from the game completely rather than lose or win games based on nonsense rulings like that. Uh, another point I hear is that refs are saying, oh, don't blame, don't blame the refs, they're just implementing the rules. But the refereeing team looked at a similar, if not worse, handball from Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which I shared with you uh, on Twitter, uh, for all of five seconds in the background before saying no penalty, without even checking the pit side monitor and all the pressure on the ref that that entails. But the Ward incident was checked over and over and over again with a game stopped and countless slow motion replays, which make it look miles, miles worse. You know, imagine that decision being given at five aside or Sunday league football. You'd be you'd be laughed out of town and, and the rules are supposed to be applicable to to all levels of the pyramid. Um, a lot of other people have been saying, well, they're just the rules. Get over it. I've actually read the rules and I'm quoting directly from the FA website. The FA website says about handball, it says it's an offence if a player deliberately touches the ball with their hand or arm, including moving the hand or arm towards the ball. Joel Ward did not, and he did not. It's an offence if a player touches the ball with their hand or arm when 
It makes their body unnaturally bigger. It did not. His hand was down right next to his side. Uh, they also go on to say it's not an offence if the ball touches a player's hand or arm, if the ball comes directly from the head or body of another player who is close, which it did. Dina bulleted a header at him from about a yard away. And it also says it's not an offence if the hand arm is close to the body and does not make the body unnaturally bigger, which it was close to his body and which it didn't make the body unnaturally bigger. It was right down next to his side. Ward wasn't even looking at the ball. Dina tried to make a headed pass to Richarlison, who was offside, by the way. He misdirected it. He scuffed the header and it hit Ward's arm, even though he wasn't looking at it. There's no attacking advantage at all, unlike Calvert-Lewin's handball, which was blocking a goal-bound shot from Zaha as directly as uh, Calvert-Lewin was looking directly at the ball and prevented a shot on target. Now, it's, it's a ridiculous rule and it needs to be changed. I understand that it's unlikely to be changed mid-season. It'll only be changed at the end of the season. But even if you wait until the end of the season to change the rule, it has to be applied consistently. It wasn't for Palace Everton. It wasn't for Spurs Newcastle when they didn't check the Jamal Lascelles handball. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it wasn't when Gabriel handballed it in the build-up to an Arsenal goal. It wasn't when Havertz handballed it in the build-up to a Chelsea goal. And it wasn't when it hit Jota's arm before the Liverpool goal against Arsenal. It's just ridiculous. It encourages players to aim for defenders' arms and then scream at the ref for a penalty rather than trying to cross or shoot or pass or just play football. It encourages defenders to put arms behind their back, which is a way more unnatural position than just having your arms by your side. And it also benefits the attackers because the defenders are off balance. Um, why can't the rule be if you move your arm towards the ball, it's handball. If the ball hits your arm and you can't do anything about it, it's not handball. I don't understand how people could disagree with that if it's applied consistently. And I agree with Hodgson with what he said after the game. It was a really good game of football between Palace and Everton. And I'd love to be talking about Tyrick Mitchell's performance at left back or James Rodriguez's first touch. But I can't talk about that because the game's just been ruined by, by that decision. After half-time, Everton just time-wasted for 45 minutes, which every team does, I understand that. But it just spoiled the game as a spectacle because they were just running down the clock, happy to accept the win, having been given a gift-wrapped winning goal on a silver platter. And it's just, it's just an absolute nonsense. It's laughable. And if decisions like this continue, it's the death knell for football as we know it. Wow. Take a deep breath, Max. What a rant that was. I completely agree. I can't sort of uh, stress how much you hit that on the head. With that said, Carl... Picking the bones out of that, obviously we were stunned from a Tottenham point of view. All things handball. Anything more to add? No, I think I think you know the, <clears throat> the guys have kind of summed it up uh, perfectly there. Then to be honest, you know, I think there's football fans up and down the country, everywhere you go, no matter what team you support, who probably will listen to this and just go. They fully agree with everything that's been said, um, and. <clears throat> You know, I'd have to say we'll probably come on to the game potentially later on at some point. But you'll, you know, we've had an incident in last night's game, haven't we? Where you know somehow Mane seems to escape getting a red card. And again, this is the sort of thing that you'd sit there and go, "Well, where is VAR in this incident? And how has Mane been allowed to get away with doing what he did last night by basically just elbowing an opponent blatantly in the face to get him away from the ball?" And somebody looks at that. Even if the referee hasn't seen it, I can accept the referee may not have had the best angle of an incident. But how is someone else looking at that and also going, yeah, no, there's nothing wrong there. That, that's carry on. Um, and I think these are all the things that are just building up frustration in everyone now. And like as we've said, 
VAR has a great purpose in the game and it could be used and will be used to make sure that, you know, the wrongs, teams that are on the wrong end of decisions get the right decision for them. I just think right now they're kind of killing it with, you know, how it's being used and the things that are being done. And in the end, everyone will get sick of it. And yet we do need this technology because it can be a great help. But we just need to make sure it's being implemented the correct way. Absolutely, Carl. And I'll stay with you, actually, because while we're on this sort of topic of laws and application, all that, with football, where it's at at the moment, Max obviously went full strength and said it's the death of football. Whether that's a bit superfluous, I don't know. But you can sort of see the mindset he's in. Now, with football at the moment, as he says, there's no fans in the ground, so the spectacle is not at its optimum. So it is admittedly something of a tough watch at the moment. Obviously, we still try and watch it as much as we can, but there is something lacking. You add that lacking element to the nonsense with handballs, is that getting to the point where people are going to just go for the off button on the remote instead? I don't think anyone will ever go for the off button, will they? Because, you know, if you're a football fan, you want to see your team and you'll watch them no matter what. Um, because, because it's your passion. I just think, as the guy said, it's it's kind of killing in a certain degree of enjoyment around the game because, you know, as, as the guys have rightly said there as well, any time a goal was scored, your first thought isn't to get excited now. You're actually thinking, yeah, but hang on, let's just wait to see the replays because, you know, you just never know whether there was going to be a brush of a finger now in there that's going to end up in this being disallowed. You know, was someone's big toe in front of another person's big toe and suddenly it's, it's offside? And I do think that those are the sort of things that will do just suck a little bit of the enjoyment out of the game. And suddenly, you know, that, that excitement suddenly goes and it's more, you know, tapered down and people are just waiting. And I do think that those are things that, in all honesty, we, we don't want to see in the game because you are now scared to celebrate instantly because you are just thinking, oh, God, this could be disallowed, though. Let's just wait till we confirm it's a goal. Uh, and that isn't really what we want to see. But... People will continue to watch, but, you know, you will suddenly get people, you know, if this handball law continues, as I've said, I think, you know, someone like Callum Wilson could win the golden boot this year just because he gets 45 penalties during the course of the season um, if we're going to carry on like this. Um, And I do think that those are situations where fans just go, well, actually, you know, teams, some teams, it's just not a level playing field because these silly decisions could just come in and suddenly, as we say, like Sunday, Newcastle didn't deserve anything out of their game, but they got something. And, you know, if that carries on through the season, it does just make you get a little bit disheartened and lose a little bit of interest. And like, as you say, given the fact that no one's in the grounds right now and you can't go to football, then... I guess some people will sort of go, I don't want to watch if this is going to carry on like this um, and games are not really won by the best team playing the best football and actually by the fact that some teams now will just buy a giraffe up front and just say, well, just edit because in the box, who knows, we could get a penalty here. So I think we have to be careful. It's a shame for me, you know, as Max rightly said, they won't they won't be brave enough to change this through the season. So we're going to have to put up with this this year and get used to it. And like, as we said, teams will have to start trying to work on how to make sure they defend properly in the box with their arms and that. Um, while these ridiculous, you know, did you make your body bigger um, situations are looked at. 
But I do think, you know, we may have just seen a couple of decisions that mean at the end of the season, this will get looked at and this rule will get changed. So, Matthew, us four, as football fans, we're quite entrenched in the game and we'll watch pretty much anything. But even with that said, is the entertainment factor being removed from football at present? You know, are we just watching football because we sort of, we have to, we're just ingrained in, in us and we know nothing else? Or is it sort of, you know, is it becoming too much of a slog? Or are you still sort of in for the long haul? No, personally, personally, I'm enjoying all this. I think, I think it adds, I think it adds extra, extra suspense. Particularly, you know, the the uh, Spurs Newcastle game on the weekend. You're thinking, you know, you're going into the last couple of minutes. Newcastle trying to get something. You're thinking the tension over whether or not Newcastle are going to bag are going to bag a point over this. You know, it's fantastic, and I want to bring it back to you know fans in ground. I don't want to hear the argument that fans won't be. The, it, it just won't feel the same. You're not telling me that in that scenario there are there wouldn't be. I've no idea what the away allocation is at Tottenham. Let's say four thousand for the sake of argument. Yeah. There wouldn't be four thousand Newcastle fans in the in the away end, all basically praying and you know biting their fingernails, hoping they're going to get a penalty there. Then when the penalty is given, they 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 can cheer over the fact that. That it's been given. You know, take it back to you know the best example I can come up with off the top of my head, and it's one I go to quite regularly is the Man City Spurs game from the Champions League two seasons ago when you got to the final and the Raheem Sterling who was offside late on or where that incident. Go back and go back and watch the clip. BT Sport have it on YouTube. Go back and when the referee rules the rules the goal out, you can hear the Spurs fans in the other end of the stadium going absolutely mental. Because they've just, you know, for the base for the pace of it, qualified for the next round of the Champions League. So I don't want to hear that, you know, fans won't be won't be able to enjoy it. Because whilst they may not be able to enjoy the initial moment, because they'll think, oh, it may be taken away from us, the added suspense will just will just add to it, and you can get the you can get the relief from it when it when it events when the decision is eventually you know confirmed. The way I the way I like it is, and I know you're a food fan, so I'm sure you enjoy this. It's like having a big it's like having a Big Mac meal, and then celebrating by having a mayo chicken. You get the big celebration, and then you get a smaller celebration afterward. You get to celebrate twice, in effect, or or in effect, you can have it taken away from you. And the other side will get to cheer from it because they'll have you know, this decision. Again, take take it back to Newcastle Spurs. Newcastle, no, Spurs are hanging on for a draw. It's a really tense game. They think they're just going to have a penalty you know, given against them because, oh, uh, did he handle it? Did he handle it? We don't, we don't know. Then say, for instance, the penalty isn't given. They've realised, you know, it's within the body line or whatever. Spurs fans celebrate because they've just managed to grab three points, even though they were under the cosh. For the last 10 minutes. So this idea that the entertainment factor isn't there. I, personally, I'm just not buying it. Well, I was going to ask you about entertainment and drama in your next question. So I'll bump it up the list for you now, Matthew. With all that in mind, these new laws, they've obviously been brought in to enhance entertainment and drama. Now, obviously, you're sort of implying you're a fan of all this. But do you not worry that it's a, an artificial element of drama and entertainment being added to the game? Um... It's define art. Define art of artificial for well, me. Well, just, just this, you know, the fact that it's all this extra layer of suspense, which has been brought along by technology, and it's not really sort of games being won on, won and lost on the pitch. It's all just in the hands of a subjective official, and it's basically his mood is going to dictate which way a game goes. Like that's not really what football's about. I think we're sort of going through into a different dimension here. 
Well, the, well, the game is being won and won and lost on the pitch because it's the incidents that are happening. Because the, the, the game is actually happening on the pitch, and you know all these subjective things. That that's just part of it. You know, instead of the referee on the pitch making decision, it's just another referee. It's still the it's still the same game at at the end of the day. It, it's slight tweaks, but it's still it's still ninety minutes, twenty two men trying to kick a ball around. So again, I'm not I'm not buying that it's artificial. Okay, it's fair enough. I just thought I'd put the question to you. I mean, I'm a fan of VAR in the sense that you should give referees, and I've said to Carl, we've said this many times, that give referees and officials the best opportunity they can have of doing the best possible job. You'd think technology would aid them, but it's just this absolute minefield of what is the right decision, who's in charge, who's making these decisions, and no one really knows where they stand. And I think, Max, we've also got another problem in that last season, the Premier League was banging the beat of its own drum in terms of law application. This year, it's been pulled into line by IFAB with everyone else. So you've now got a one-size-fits-all approach. Does that mean the Premier League has lost its previous character? And if it has, is that necessarily a bad thing? Um, I'm not sure the Premier League has, has lost its character. But uh, t- to be honest, I, I just think the Premier League and, and, and generally the, the game of football is, is good enough and entertaining enough that it doesn't need um, jazzing up. Um, and I, in my opinion, all, all this technology, as as you as you and Cole said, is to is to help the refs. It's to give them um, an extra pair of eyes and ears on the pitch. So if they miss anything, they they've got a chance of doing the best job they can. Um, whereas if it's kind of just being used as a, and I know Matthew, you're not a fan of the, of the of the term artificial, but I guess it's not in the sense organic. In the sense, it's not happening. Um, like on the pitch, it's being imposed from above. Yes, that's, um, that's the point I was trying to make. That's much better, Max. Well done. Carry on. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I don't think it needs jazzing up at all. I think it's, it's, it's entertaining enough because, for example, test cricket, five days, I absolutely love it. A lot of people don't. A lot of people find it a bit drab, a bit dreary. So stuff like the IPL and the 100 is being brought in to make it a bit more exciting. Sure, go for it. Football is a 90-minute game and... It's been the same since you know a guy in China picked up a, a stone ball and kicked it to his mate. It, I don't I don't think it needs any um, any to, to to add any entertainment value to it. I think it's already fine as it is. So Cole, I pinched this stat from Match of the Day too, so I can't take credit for this one. But they did a penalty award comparison last season of handballs <laughs> between the Premier League, La Liga, and Serie A. Now I think it was nineteen in the Premier League. You think okay, sounds about normal. La Liga Serie A, either side of 50. So if you're applying that rule or that law to this season in England, it's going to be an absolute free-for-all, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, as I say, you know, I, I, you could see a striker getting close to winning the golden boot just because on, on penalties alone, um, you know, someone like Callum Wilson will probably be up there come the end of the season with, with a chance for the golden boot. And when you actually look at his goals, his goals over the course of season, you might find that, you know, more than half of them have come just purely from the penalty spot, um, which doesn't then show you a true fact of, well, this guy's a great striker. It just tells you he's been fortunate enough to play on the side that have been able to use the most of their tall target man striker. And, you know, the defending team have been unlucky enough to get a body in the way. Um, like as you say, we will see it. It, it, If this law isn't going to change, which we know it won't, because, you know, there's no one's going to have the sense to say, well, hold on, let's stop it right here. We've seen enough over these first few games that's changed this. 
we're stuck with it until the, until next season. Um, so this is going to happen all the time. It's just such a shame that I say, you know, the whole thing about the unnatural position. Um, I think that needs to be clearer, doesn't it? You know, because as I say, yes, we've seen handballs given where players have gone in an un- unnatural positions, but that comes more when you see a defender stick both his arms out wide, almost like a goalkeeper trying to make a star or a defender leading with his hand when he's jumping to try and win a header and almost punching the ball off a forward's head. Those are the unnatural positions and the penalties you want to see. When you look at Sunday, Eric Dyer jumps and uses his arms to get the leverage. Um, and then suddenly the ball strikes an arm there. That is not a player making his body bigger deliberately to try and, you know, stop the attacking team, get an advantage. Uh, and those are the things that, like I say, they are just where you're looking at something going, this isn't right. And I'll go back again to last night, you know, the, the Mane incident, the elbow. He doesn't get red carded. And then a few minutes later, he's tapping in the first goal um, to get Liverpool level. And Arsenal could be sitting there saying, if this was done properly, this guy's not even on the pitch anymore to tap that one home. So, you know, how has VAR come in and been used the right way in that incident? And now we're costed because this guy was still on the pitch when he shouldn't have been. Um, And these are all the things that are just turning people off of something that's great. Um, And we'll just turn them off of the whole idea altogether. And as we say, we just need to see this start being implemented the correct way. And then I don't think anyone moans. You know, no one will moan if a team get a goal, you know, get a goal given that a referee didn't give because it was over the line or the the player was on the side when a linesman flagged. They're all the things we want to see it used for. Some of what we're seeing it for now is not what people want to see technology used for. So, Max, if we look at it, from the other point of view, that if there's lots of penalties, it stands to reason there's going to be lots of goals. Is there a problem that it perhaps devalues the goal fest? That even at the start of this season, we've seen some pretty bonkers scorelines, and you think, okay, well, you know, that's a quirk. Problem is, if you have that sort of most weeks, you're just going to be sort of desensitised to loads of goals, and it almost becomes a bit akin to basketball because one of the beauties of football is that it's such a low-scoring game in comparison that that creates that level of tension, that there are so little golden moments in 90 minutes. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be like 84-all at the Etihad next week, but you sort of if you're sort of seeing five threes more often than not, does that sort of devalue the goal slightly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be too slow to say there wouldn't, there wouldn't be a, a score of, of 84 against Man City, given their defending recently. True, but... true. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think one of the one of the big reasons that 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 the celebration of a goal for a fan, um, which I'm sure all of you will agree, is just one of the most um, intensely uh, immediate and joyful and visceral experiences. Um, that that is kind of devalued a little bit if you're just scoring six every week. And uh, obviously, if Palace started scoring six every week for the first couple of weeks, I'd absolutely love it. But like you say, part of the part of the tension and and the nerves around around the game is knowing that goals are rare and so they're precious. And if they're being scored, you know, five a game every single week, you do become a little bit desensitised. And it's you know you go two 0 up and you think, oh well, we've got three more goals to go, or the opposition could get two penalties in two minutes, and so it doesn't really matter anymore. Um, so that is that is a kind of unwanted side effect of, of the rules as they are. 
Right, so on the topic of goals, that's pretty much the first half. So we're going to try and do as much Premier League chat as we can in the second. Apologies if your team does not get mentioned. You'll have to blame the officials. But there's loads to talk about. I'm going to start at the Hawthorns. So, Cole, West Brom will be asking themselves how they gave up a 3-0 lead to Chelsea. But at the same time, will they feel hard done by at the very end? Yeah, as you, as you say, 3-0 up, you, you would then like to think that, you know, you should just be seeing that game out, um, not doing nothing stupid in the second half. But I think, you know, what we've seen there is a problem that West Brom are going to have all through the season. And that is, you know, if you can't keep clean sheets and, and defend properly, then you're going to be in big trouble. Um, I do think, as you said, they, they will feel slightly aggrieved on the topic of handball stuff because we know the last goal, it hits Havertz on the hand. Now, we can say that didn't lead to, you know, the rule is, well, it didn't actually directly lead to a goal. But I would argue if that doesn't hit him on the hand, that potentially goes out for a goal kick. West Brom are taking a goal kick and suddenly just see those like that last minute or so out um, that way. So I do think they should feel aggrieved um, with the ruling as it stands. Because like I say, you know, that that hand doesn't stop that ball. It's out for a goal kick and, and the game is won. But, you know, it doesn't. It then leads to the goal. But ultimately, in this game, I think West Brom have got themselves to blame for possibly allowing that to happen and letting Chelsea back in it. Um, and I think, as I say, that game has kind of shown me that, you know, and I don't want to, you know, this is going to seem horrible for Matthew, but I think we've already seen there are probably going to be two teams this year where you've probably seen the writing is on the wall pretty early in terms of how the season's going to go for them. Matthew, we might get time to talk about Fulham, but I think it's been the same issues since day one. So if we don't, I'll ask you about uh, Thiago Silva first. Now, when he signed, it constituted a rather shrewd move. Didn't look all that shrewd by the time he gifted the ball to West Ham, sorry, West Brom, and they scored. Um, yeah, Thiago Silva, I think this is probably going to be one of those. We always, we always talk about players who have to struggle, you know, struggle to adapt when they get to the Premier League. There have been some obvious exceptions, Zlatan Ibrahimovic probably being the the key one when you factor in when you factor in Thiago Silva's age as well into the equation. Um, I, it's it's just one game. We don't, I don't want I don't want to call, sort of call it a blip right now or you know the fact that it was a terrible signing. Um, I, he'll he'll get better. I do have some sort of faith in Frank Lampard to be able to not necessarily coaching out of him because I don't think there's a lot more that Thiago Silva can be taught at this stage of his career. But I, th I think that's just a one thing. I think it will still go down as a bit of an astute signing for Chelsea when when all is said and done. Yeah, you're probably right. It's just sort of a bit schadenfreude, as they say. But Max, as a Palace fan, how much umbrage did you take with that Chelsea third kit? Yes, I know. It has been one of the big, biggest talking points of the weekend. It seems it seems really strange because I almost couldn't believe it. I thought it was like a prank at first. Like I thought I thought it was just like a social media gag, but it, it just seems really just seems really odd. But I guess it's kind of flattering that they that they want to copy our iconic red and blue kit. Here we go. So if we go back earlier in the day, Carl, when a team hits the woodwork on five different occasions, comes away with nothing in the grand scheme of the game, you do have to ask yourself, how's your luck? Yeah, yeah, most definitely, you know, that is just one then where you think, you know, how many times can we hit the post or bar? Is that down to some bad finishing or just being unlucky? Um, then you also ask the fact, you know, how can it hit a post and not just come back to somebody for a tap in? Um, 
it is just one of those days, isn't it? You know, they deserved a lot more out of that game. They played really well. That you know, they look really good actually at the start of this season, to be honest. And and if they play like that, they'll they'll get what they deserve. Unfortunately, it just wasn't their day. And like as you say, Mister Woodwork, you know, they'll try and work on that in training this week, I guess, just to try and be a little bit more clinical. But it's just it's just unfortunate. But they they played some great football. With that said, Matthew, there was no luck as far as Marcus Rashford's goal was concerned. Not once but twice he left Ben White on his arse as he gave United the lead once again. So, obviously, credit for the goal, but credit from the pass from Bruno. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Marcus Rashford has sort of developed in the past couple of years. He was the, you know, um, sort of uh, young prospect a couple of years ago when he first came up to the scene. But now I think he's sort of established himself into, you know, one of, I don't want to say elite because that's sort of Ronaldo, Messi class, but I think he is starting to, at least probably tier B, I think. I don't think that's too much of exaggeration, sort of player, sort of player in world football. I think that exact, that goal was just, a, was just a good example of it. It wasn't just once he got the ball, it was a straight finish. The fact that he you know, wanted to show off a little bit and the fact that he was able to pull it off, just sort of, just sort of demonstrate that. And if Man United are going to have any sort of success this season, Mark Shrashford is probably going to be the biggest influencer in that. And Max, obviously you'll smirk when Brighton lose. So what positives can I take from that game? You know, they've hit the post and the woodwork, whatever, five times. But more importantly, they played twice at home this season, which is usually a fortress, the Amex, and lost both. So how much of that will a concern be? Um, it will be a concern that they've, that they've lost too. But I think, uh, but basically, based on how they've played, they're not going to be too upset. I don't think you're, I don't think as a manager, Graham Potter will be too upset having seen the performances um, and... And you know what? They've got, they've got. I really hate to say it as a Palace fan, but they've got a lot of good young players there. They've got quite a nice style of play. They're quite attractive to watch. Um, yeah, the likes of Lamptey and Alzate and Basuma and Connolly and players like that. And Ben White as well, obviously, having, having come back from Leeds. They look like a good team, so I wouldn't be too concerned um, based on the performance. Just a little thing I found quite enjoyable was uh, Neil Morpé, who did the crying emoji emoji he did a crying um gesture i should say um to the to the united fans i guess or to the empty stand after he scored his penalty and then i just found it a, a, an interesting twist of fate that he was the one who gave away the penalty at the end yeah that's uh counting your chickens before they come home to roost i think they call that but um yes i think unfortunate for him not unfortunate for liverpool though cole on monday because they've seemingly thrown down a marker already maximum points with that they've beaten chelsea and arsenal I think it's bad news for the rest of the Premier League. Yeah, you know they've had they've had quite a good start, haven't they? Um, you know, and they're looking again like they're probably going to be a side that are going to be really hard to beat, as you say. Have played two, what you know, especially the game against Chelsea, because I think you know we all had high expectations um, of how, what Chelsea would do this season. So they'll be really pleased to have gone away and got a good result against them. Um, Arsenal, you know, Arsenal, Liverpool seem to like playing Arsenal at Anfield. Um, you know, they normally get the better of them there. But it does look a start where you're sitting there thinking, yeah, if it goes this way, we could see exactly the same as what happened last season, where Liverpool, you know, kind of dominate the league and could wrap it up reasonably early. I guess the one thing you'd sit there and say is that, you know, defensively so far, they've, they've seemed like you can get at them a little bit. So they'll probably want to work on that and start shoring themselves up a little bit defensively. But, 
we know, you know, going forward, they're always going to score goals. So there is a chance, again, they could outscore most teams this season. I think they've made some good, good signings. Um, I think the guy from Wolves was a really good signing because I do like the look of him. And I think he'll add something to their team. So I, I think we are seeing that, you know, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool take a back-to-back titles this season. Well, on the early evidence, it's looking that way and they're making a bit of a mockery of those early season odds. But also, Matthew, making a mockery is Sadio Mane of the officials. Now, Carl sort of touched on it earlier in the show. He gets the equaliser. Big question is, should he still be on the pitch after minute three? Um, No, I, I, don't, I don't think he should have. I'll, I'll be brutally honest, I didn't get I didn't get to see the full, um, the full incident because I was too busy um, dealing with the backlash of... Our owner on Twitter after <laughs> after Fulham Aston Villa game, so yeah, having to having to watch the um, chaos unfold at, at Craven Cottage, but I did manage to get a brief look of it. Yeah, it's it is one of those. I know Carl was saying earlier, it's one of those things you probably want VAR VAR to look at. But I could also I could also make make the argument that was it was it a hundred percent like again? It comes down to the rules. Was it intentional? Was it was it deliberate? Can you really show such uh, send someone send someone off for it? I think I think you can you can make argument you can make arguments both sides. I think if if Marnie had been sent off, I don't think there would have been too many complaints. But I think most of the fans that saw complaining he should have been sent off are probably you know have a bias against Liverpool and their, you know, their desire to not see them steamroller through the majority of the league, as they probably will do for the rest of the year. Max, regarding this incident, I had a theory with Carl, as we spoke very quickly last night, that it's too early in the game for a referee to make a big decision. That almost immunity in the first sort of five, ten minutes. Do you think Mane has been favoured by that? Um, yeah, potentially, potentially. You do see that sometimes. Um, a really bad uh, tackle will happen in the first five minutes and the ref will think, oh, it's a bit early to send it off, to, to send him off, or, you know, it might spoil the spectacle. And maybe there is that kind of that, that, that kind of pressure on on someone um, in the first five minutes. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm particularly anti-Liverpool. Um, and I, I thought it, it, it wasn't that different from the from the Kieran Gibbs uh, swinging arm on uh, on an Everton player, on James Rodriguez, I believe it was. And he yeah. got sent off for that. And that's going to be a three-game ban. And to be honest, I don't see much difference between the the, the two incidents. And I'm a neutral. Um, I don't know if VAR had a look at it. In a way, if VAR has a proper look at it and, you know, maybe the ref goes to the monitor and they and they properly consider it and they decide that it's not deliberate all right fair enough you know at least you've had a proper look at it but it seemed like it, it was just kind of skated over quite quickly and a lot of um, a lot of arsenal fans will be confused about that yeah well again it just comes back to a lack of consistency and that's a great point you raise about Kieran Gibbs not too sort of different so you're sort of applying the rule one week and not the next and that really is the bugbear for so many fans up and down the country dare I say the world but anyway Cole Liverpool, they're the only team out of the recognised big six to not drop points at the moment. That's because Man City were thumped at the Etihad. Where on earth did it all go wrong for them against Leicester? Yeah, that that, that was 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 kind of an un, unreal game, wasn't it? You know, when they take the lead through what is a superb goal, oh, yeah. um, you know, one of one of the best so far this season. Um, you sit there and start thinking, well, okay, could City go through the gears here and really get going? And then what we just saw was what the same problems that will come to haunt Man City again this season as they did last season, which is just some calamitous defending um, and a team that, you know, if you can get at them, you feel you've got a chance of, you know, scoring goals. And 
if you're going to defend like that and defenders are going to make the sort of decisions that they were making in that game, you're in big, big trouble and you won't get near Liverpool. And that, for me, is a real issue that Pep really does need to try and sort out and get you know resolved pretty quickly. Because if City continue to defend like that, I think we'll see, you know, the same as what happened last season in the fact that Liverpool will just run away with it so easily because City will just drop too many points. And we know you're you're in a league right now where the top two won't drop many points. So you can't afford to start being six, seven, eight points behind because you'll never make that ground up. Um, they they just absolute dreadful defending um, and some of the some of the tackles that were being made. Um, You'd have to question the players and what they're doing. But City just fell apart after the first couple. And then Leicester actually just kind of made them look silly uh, and were having fun going forward. And every time Leicester went forward, you thought they'll score it. They could score. You know, Leicester missed some really good chances. But credit to Leicester for actually doing what they did and taking advantage of that. Absolutely. I mean, just the fact that City gave away three penalties, it's like, you know, Keystone Cops defending at times, which is real basic errors. And for a team that's been assembled for so much money, you'd think, well, why are these errors even creeping in in the first place? But Matthew, taking advantage of those defensive errors, in the main, was Jamie Vardy. He's got a hat-trick. He's got two penalties. I know you wanted to talk about him anyway, so the floor is yours once more. Expand on all things Vardy. Hang on, give me two ticks. I had a prop for this, but I forgot to bring it out. Give me a tick. I've got, I've got it here. Hang on. Yes. Give, me two, give me two seconds. I've got... Give me... Come on, open up, open up. Um, I know I've been talking about having the, um, the the England bell, as it was for Jamie Vardy. Yeah. Um, sadly, I couldn't find one. So the best I've got is the England kazoo for Jamie Vardy. <laughs> if I can work out how to work it. <laughs> oh, an anti-climax. I can't even, I can't even work. <laughs> this is, oh, even, this yeah. is staying in the show, Matthew. I'm not chopping this that's, out, by the way. There we go. Yeah, yeah. England kazoo for Jamie Vardy. Because um, I think, because I think at this stage, and you, you really, Gareth Southgate really does have to have a word with himself about whether or not he wants to. No, I don't know. I don't know whose decision it is, whether or not Jamie Vardy wants to come out of international retirement, or if it's Gareth Southgate's job to basically convince him. But at this stage, what was the stat? I I took a picture when they said he'd scored seven goals against Manchester against Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. I think that's yep. up to nine that's now. Right. Yep. After after the weekend, so yeah, it's it's just fantastic the fact that he's doing it at you know at the age that he's doing it. And yeah, we talk about bogey clubs for uh, for teams. You know, Arsenal had Bolton whenever they went to the Reebok as it was then. You know, they'd always struggle there or the Britannia as it was then. That sort of thing. I think. Jamie Vardy may just be Manchester City's bogey player, as it were. They, for some reason, they just don't seem to, they just can't seem to stop him. I think you know everyone's talking about how Pep Guardiola should buy a bunch of defenders to try and solve the problem. If I'm being honest, you're better off by spending 120 million trying to get Jamie Vardy out of Leicester because that's really going to be the only thing that's going to stop you um, from absolutely capitulating. He'll get you goals where the likes of Jesus and you know Guerrero probably won't. Because I think I think Vardy would be would be a fantastic signing and he's probably the only thing standing in the way of Man City getting the title. Well if you can't beat him, buy him, I guess this is a good good ad- adage there. But uh, Max, in terms of Leicester, they obviously fluffed their Champions League lines on the last day of uh, last season. Now after that they could have moped in self pity, it could have sort of started a bit of a negative spiral as they say. It's not been the case at all, has it? So a great start. But what is their ultimate ambition going to be this time around? Well, it's got to be Champions League. It's got to be, considering where they were last season. 
And they, you know, they've added a couple of players as well. I'm really impressed by Castagna at, full, at oh, fullback. Definitely, yeah. And, um, and when Ricardo Pereira comes back, that's going to be a that's going to be a, a properly formidable defence. When you think about Casper Schmeichel um, behind them and, and Solyanchu and Evans, who are two, you know, two very good players in there, and Evans obviously a very experienced campaigner. Um, yeah, I, I really like their team. I think they could. They could go a long way. Harvey Barnes, by the way, what a performance uh, at the weekend. He was just gliding past players. And he's kind of gone under the radar a little bit because he doesn't really play every week. But he's he's kind of he looks like he's going to be nailing down that that left sided, that left that, that left winger position. And and he, he looked really good. I think why why on earth not can you um why on earth not can't you aim for Champions League? They they were so close last season, they really should have got it. And um, although other teams around them are strengthening, obviously Spurs are signing players and United might still get Sancho and all of that, I think Champions League's got to be the aim. I think the race to the top four is going to be an absolute bloodbath this season. Like, because you think, you know, we all talk about the, the big six, but Leicester, they want to gate crash it. Everton want to gate crash it. Wolves, they might struggle, even though they've had this iffy start. But you're probably looking at about nine teams into four places overall. There's so much that are going to be disappointed by what they don't get that there's going to be some sort of massive fallout come the summer because there is going to be a lot of people going empty-handed. But before we sort of crack on with that, let's go to Sunday again because, Carl, David Moyes has proved that working from home is definitely the new normal. Where on earth did that 4-0 win come against Wolves? Yeah, yeah, you know, unfortunately, maybe could it could it could it work against him? And everyone thinks, well, actually, you know, this guy, let's just not get him around and have him on the <laughs> sideline because it works. Uh, you might see him get some gardening leave uh, sometime soon. Uh, but great result. I mean, I don't think anyone saw that result coming. To be honest, you know, I thought West Ham played reasonably well against Arsenal. Um, but you certainly wouldn't have expected them to go and brush Wolves aside as easily as they did. You certainly wouldn't have expected Wolves to kind of cave in and crumble the way they did. But, you know, I think it was just a great performance and, and a standout performance from me, from Antonio, because I really believe, you know, since, since the restart last season, he has really been one of West Ham's key players. You know, he causes defences so many problems. Um and I think there are quite a few teams right now looking for an, you know, a backup forward or another striker. And you know, I think you know lots of teams should be eyeing this guy up because he was brilliant and he gave Wolves no rest whatsoever, and they just couldn't handle him. But a great win um, and one, like I say, West Ham I think badly needed because they were in, you know, they were at risk of seeing their start kind of just crumble away, uh, and that wouldn't have set the right momentum. So. Hopefully for them, they think they'll be able to use that to kickstart their season. Now, Matthew, no one's ever really worried about Wolves. If they lose back-to-back, it's not crisis mode at Molyneux. With that said, this is by far not the start that Nuno and co. would have been banking on. They're already playing catch-up on their European rivals. So where's it gone wrong? Um, I, don't, I don't think it's gone particularly wrong. You know, I do still have... I know this, this show does tend to turn into a... Uh, Matthew Baldwin, Nuno love this every single week. But Here we will, go again. again you, will, you will not hear me say a bad word against him. I think he's, a, I think he's a brilliant manager. I think he's just probably one of the victims of, you know, having the the weird weird summer they did because they were in they were in the European competitions. Then having to have a little bit of a mixed, you know, mixed and muddled preseason. I, I again, I think this is just a blip. I think they will 
get out of this as soon as they will. You know, they've still got a couple of days left in the transfer window. They will probably buy the whole Sporting Lisbon reserve team by, by that point, just to give them a little bit of just to give them a little bit of bulking up. They'll be they'll be absolutely fine. You know, it probably does knock them out of the title race, but I don't see them. I don't see this being a, a big step back if they were. You know, you talk about the Champions League or the Europa League places. So I don't think that this is gonna you know, hurt them too much in the grand scheme of things. They will be absolutely fine. I don't think they're going to have like a Sheffield United plummet down the table, for instance. Okay, right. So, Max, with that in mind, could you just put their iffy start down to those European exploits or do you think there's something more to hand? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. It it was a very unusual summer. They obviously had a a hugely long and arduous uh, season last season in terms of travelling thousands and thousands of miles for the Europa League. I don't think they even played a single pre-season friendly just from the way that all the scheduling worked out. Um, and yeah, they've, they've lost a couple of players. They've obviously lost um, uh, Jota to Liverpool, but Daniel Pedence has really stepped in and looked really nice. His nutmeg on Kevin De Bruyne was was outrageous. And although they've lost Matt Doherty, uh, they've, they've replaced him with Nelson Semedo, who I think is a pretty good player, not a uh, maybe Champions League level player, but the, the the player losses that they've had, they've replaced them quite quickly. And I'm a big fan of Nuno as well. He's obviously got quite a small squad there, but very tight knit and everyone contributes and and, and everyone's in, in really good shape generally. So I don't, I don't think there's too many problems and I fully expect them to be in and around the top six by the end of the season. And Cole, Everton, they're going to be hoping for European exploits in what, 12 months or so. So when you look at their start, they're certainly going the right way about it, aren't they? Yeah, they've had, they've had a good start, haven't they? Um, and, you know, they've played some reasonable football. You know, Calvert-Lewin is, is playing really well. Um, and, he, you know, they'll just be hoping that he can continue that sort of form. You know, Rodriguez looks like he's been a really good signing, um, you know, because he does bring a touch of class to their game. You know, say his first touch, the way he picks a pass, um, it's just pure class. I guess, as we say, the, the thing with Everton is just can they keep that going over the course of the season? You know, it's OK doing it for three or four games. Um, they've got to just make sure they find that consistency this season where they can play like that more week in, week out. You know, you've got to hope that Pickford doesn't lose his concentration and go through a spell where, you know, he starts throwing them in like he can do. Um, and if they've managed to rectify those things then there's no reason why they, they can't be challenging there for, you know, sixth place. And who knows, maybe even top four if they get into a rhythm. Um, so, like I say, I think if you're an Everton fan, you'd be quietly pleased with the start you've had. But you will be sitting there thinking a couple of injuries here or a couple of players just lose some form. And, you know, we don't know how well and consistently this this side can keep it going. So I think that is their biggest concern. But if they sort that out, they'll be up there challenging for those fifth or sixth places, definitely. And Matthew, we spoke about Jamie Vardy earlier. He's joint top scorer with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. They've both got five goals, but I think it also could be time to play that England kazoo once again. After last time, I ain't touching it. I think I'll get a new crop <laughs> next week. Okay. Um, Calvert-Lewin, yeah, it'll be interesting because the internet, because international's break next week, isn't it? Yeah. So Southgate should be naming his squad more or less, more or less any day now. So... It will be interesting to see whether or not Southgate experiments with the likes of Calvert-Lewin or if he'll go for the, you know, try and trust the likes of Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Mason Greenwood, probably in with a shout there as well. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting, but I think Calvert-Lewin, I, th- I think I said this last week, 
it, this is probably his season now to sort of you know branch out and be the player that we all sort of hoped that he would we societal we thought that he would be a couple of years ago when he started when he started coming through and hopefully make a big name for himself and be Everton's you know main man going forward and he's obviously off to a very good start with it right we've got four matches left five minutes so it's the quick fire rounds uh where should we go first max you get burnley versus southampton basically southampton off the mark a good start or sorry a good win for them and that will sort of ease the ease the mood at st mary's yeah 100% 100% and after their um they're kind of they're, they're weirdly high line against Spurs and and their and their strange resistance to just dropping it back a little bit after uh, Kane and Son tore them apart and um, by by playing balls in behind I think it was really important for them to get a clean sheet and they did and that was also good for my fantasy team and it's good to see Danny Ings uh, on the score sheet in the Danny Ings derby as well no less yes very good Matthew now the Tony Khan tweets do you think you can sum it up in about a minute or do you want more time next week um. No, but no, I could, I could do, I could, I could do it quickly. Basically, he's just being a ma- monumental prat. Is, is, <laughs> is the long and short of it. Basically, Tony Khan is our director of football. For those who don't know, they probably will know now after his little tirade. He's he's basically in charge of the bringing in, bringing in and getting rid of players. But he's very much on an on an ego trip. He always likes to preface things with I when you know whenever a player goes loan out. I made the decision to loan out a young goalkeeper as if it's the as if. No one else has ever thought of it in the in the history of world football, and now it's basically just come back to haunt him that that we've had a bad start to the season. We haven't bought in the centre backs we needed, and now he, after all the time, you know, he's in charge of it. Now everyone's putting the the anger towards him, and it's basically just come to what I called on Twitter a breaking point. Um, basically, just lashed out at lashed out at the fans, calling us. Um, you know, we wanted to be a yo-yo club, even though no fun fan has ever said we wanted to do that. And it has basically turned incredibly toxic after after his team. Go out and look at it and go look at through the replies because they some of them are absolutely fantastic and superb. And he deserves I don't want to say he deserves the abuse he gets because that would be a little bit too harsh. But he's being criticized right now and he and he warrants the criticism. Let's just put it that way. Okay, in a word, this answer, will he now go back and sort of focus more on the Jacksonville Jaguars? Hopefully. Right, OK. So, uh, Carl, you get the Yorkshire derby. Sheffield United versus Leeds. A good win for Leeds, but a worry for the Blades because that's now three they've lost in a row and it's also six in a row if you count the end of last season. So where's it going wrong for Chris Wilder's men? Yeah, you kind of worry about that second season syndrome, don't you? Um, and will they struggle with that? A great win for Leeds. You know, they created lots of chances. And like you said, I think Chris Wilder will be slightly... Oh, sorry, Dan. That's all right, mate. I think, I think he will be slightly worried that they um, need to get themselves going um, and make sure they get a win on the board and stop this rot that seems to have settled in. God, we've got it all today. Kazoo doesn't work. A dog in the background, but it's absolutely fine. So I'll wrap things up with uh, Tottenham versus Newcastle. Admittedly, actually, there's a whole podcast we can do that instead. So don't listen to my thoughts now. Go to the Come and You Spurs podcast where me, Carl, and a couple of great guests will also be dissecting everything that happened with handballs, wasted chances in the first half, etc., etc. So go to that one. You'll get a lot more out of it. And I think we've just reached full time. So a big thanks to my three guests, as always. Sterling work, as always. Thank you ever so much for your time. Also, thank you to the listeners for your ears this week. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast, and until next time, goodbye.
Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.